everybody. This is Jim. And Jeremy. And we are on show number 34. So today we are going to start off with um, theme songs from horror movies. And then we're going to get into the new, some new horror movies this year. So this list we have is from Den of Geek. This list is from 2019. And it was compiled by David Crow. And there's 13 of them here. Some horror movies, I do think of certain themes. Actually, the first one on this, uh, number 13 on this list, appropriately, Friday the 13th. <laughs> and never forget, you know, the ch 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 you know. Mm-hmm. So there's thir- certain sounds, and um, Halloween, too, is another one. Yeah, um, absolutely. Some of these I looked through, I don't really remember or know, but we'll, we'll mention them. But so again, we, um, let's see, number 13, we have Friday the 13th from 1980. If you haven't seen any Friday the 13th, I don't know. Maybe you don't like horror movies. I don't know where you have been. But we have, you know, Jason Voorhees, Jason, eventually, you know, he wears the hockey mask, not till the third movie. Right. So this theme was written by Harry Manfredini. Manfredini, yep. This was originally intended to be the voice of Jason Voorhees' ghost speaking to his mother by stating, kill, 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 mom, mom, mom. I did not know that. This person writes, not only is it Jason's calling card, it's a silent chant that lives in his unbeating heart. One that is literally laughing at the dead and dying. For me, that theme should be up there in the list. But I'm a big Friday 13th fan, so. Then we have number 12, A Nightmare on Elm Street, written by Charles Bernstein. Also, ignore my, uh, my voice, as you notice, a little rough, <laughs> getting over bronchitis. Uh, glad I still have my voice. Been at too many rave parties lately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Following the guttural sounds of other 1980s horror themes, A Nightmare on Elm Street scores about eerie atmosphere. I don't remember the theme from Nightmare on Elm Street. Says the theme has the creepy touch of a nursery rhyme, but in Freddy's school, it's always nap time. Is it the one, two, Freddy's coming for you? (laughs) Might be. Is that what they're considering (laughs) the theme? Because I only ever remember the blades on, like, the steel pipes. Yeah. I don't know. Number 11 is The Omen, which, 1976. I don't know when I first saw this. We used to have, we had HBO, you know, when I was young, but this might have come on later. I know I saw it at a young age, but, um, though he says it is hard to get scarier than the devil, especially when he comes in the shape of a little demon spawn who makes death eyes at every adult he meets. And then he says, channeled through a contrabass and the choir from hell, Jerry Goldsmith, that's the, um, Composer, mm-hmm. Ave Santini, which means Hail Satan theme, is a reverent ode to the most malevolent force in the world as it heralds the birth and rise of the Antichrist. And the actual Latin chants translate to, we drink the blood, we eat the flesh, raise the body of Satan. It says, talk about a pick-me-up. I don't remember that movie having any 
songs. <laughs> well, it might have been just the background music. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have then to we go got, back and watch it. Then we got Carrie, written by Pino Danaggio. Uh, never one to miss a chance to borrow from Hitchcock's Brian De Palma. Even had his composer, Pino Danaggio, on the case with the score to this 1976 classic. It's bad because we don't remember a lot of these. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen Carrie in years. Yeah. Number nine is Saw, Charles Clozier. While overused after a parade of mediocre sequels, this theme still sends tingles rushing down one's nervous system. Says the epic piece by Charles Clozier is a stunning embrace to total despair and horror when one of the lead characters realized that his murderer had been hiding on the floor <laughs> in front of him for hours. I do like the Saw movies. Oh, first one was fantastic. And we got number eight, The Wolfman from 1941. Classic. This was written by Charles Previn, Hans J. Salter, and Frank Skinner. Uh, he says, never scary. The Wolfman is the quintessential pulpy tragedy about a good man who turns into a beast. Says, with little budget or time, the Wolfman creates a piece of music that is both mournful and exciting. I do think, you know, a lot of these, especially the old horror movies, the music does make the mood, you know. So maybe as a theme, these are, it might be a piece of music uh, that was created, but then uh, throughout the movie, little parts of that, you know, music is used in different scenes too. I like the last line there. If you listen to the whole score, you can hear what might be the inspiration for Danny Elfman's Batman theme. Hmm. Uh, Danny Elfman's done a ton of musical scores. Edward oh, Scissorhands, yeah. mm -hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. A, a lot of Steven Spielberg movies, but mm -hmm. Danny Elfman has had some great tracks. So, Yeah, I don't even know if he's on this list. thought that think. was interesting, if nothing else. And then we got Bride of Frankenstein, 1935 by Franz, Franz Waxman. Again, this classic universal horror may not be primarily scary, but this time it was never meant to be as much as a dark comedy as a horror movie. So this, this review goes more into the movies than, I guess, the song. You know, we should have listened to these. We should have, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we should have. Okay. Bram Stoker's Dracula checks in at number six. Uh, debatably the best Dracula movie, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula is an eerie cinematic magic trick executed with ancient stagecraft. Uh, and hypnotically weird visuals, specifically in the costume area. One of the best aspects of the flick is its majestic score. Spooky and seductive. It has several themes encompassed in the above end credits. And we're talking about the 1992. Yeah, Dracula. sorry. 92 Dracula. I, I do like that movie. That is actually that is one of the better movies on this list. Candyman, also from 92. So there you go. 92, mm. the year of the horror musical score. Much about an acceptance of oblivion on a primal level as it is about the movie playing in front of you, Philip Glass's mini piano concerto is beyond nihilistic. Uh, it is an intoxicating surrender to the beauty of annihilation and the immortality inherent in death. Uh, it was written for Helen, who plays Virginia, or sorry, Virginia Madsen plays Helen, giving in to the candy man, Tony Todd, his persistent offer of being his victim. Candyman is an exceedingly dense fable about the myths we tell ourselves and why they may be more important than actual reality. 
If you haven't seen that, it's a good movie. Philip Glass, though, sounds familiar. He must have written other scores oh, okay. for other movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, number four was The Exorcist, kicking off what is arguably the scariest movie ever made. That's debatable. The opening title track to The Exorcist is a combination of haunting tubular bells. This one is actually really good. I know this. Yeah, this I think it's well. called Tubular Bells. It, it, yeah. yeah. Piano and a bass guitar that still sends shivers down the spine of any person. That is true. And my hair stands up on my body mm. when this song comes on. Yeah. Hitting people where it hurt. The film was a phenomenon that became the first horror movie ever nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Mm. It remains the single most theatrically watched R-rated picture ever released when adjusted for inflation i didn't know it was the first movie horror movie nominated um tubular bells is played several times throughout the picture which is why i think it's it gives you that you know creepy feel when you hear it because it's actually used in the film to create suspense Mm -hmm. um, much like a couple of the others that we're gonna approach here on this list for the millions who saw The Exorcist first, it will always remain one of the most terrifying compositions ever recorded. Pretty fair statement. Uh, number three, Psycho. Another good one that mm-hmm. comes to mind. Very unique in culture, this piece of music can often be overlooked by those for its truly freakish quality. When audiences lined up in 1960 to see Alfred Hitchcock's movie, all they knew was that if they were more than twenty min- or, sorry, 10 minutes late, they couldn't get in. Hmm. Beyond accomplishing the greatest bait-and-switch trick in movie history, as well as a birthing the slasher genre, subgenre, uh, Hitchcock was changing the way audiences attended movies. Yeah, his movies were really built up. Like, yes. And, yeah. You know, it's funny because, um, not that I'm trying to get too off-topic here, but Alfred Hitchcock's theme could have been used... On his TV show that he that mm-hmm. he had, it isn't in here anywhere, but that is pretty iconic as well in my mind. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, number two is Jaws, which I don't think of Jaws and music going together, but <laughs> written by John Williams. I'm not even sure if Jaws fully counts as a horror movie. Well, that was dun dun dun, dun 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 dun. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get it, but I mean, I would know. you put that on your uh, playlist? You know? No, no, not at all. <laughs> I dare you to name more than a few horror movies themes that have had a more blood-curdling effect. The movies still keep large groups of every generation out of the water. Jaws is one of the finest pieces of musical terrorism ever composed, thanks largely to its simplicity. Beginning as an insidious contrabass, the theme never graduates past its two notes as it encompasses the entire thought process of its great white leviathan. In other words, it's eat, 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 and eat. Hmm. I mean, I get what they're saying. I guess when I think of music, that to me is more effects, like sound effects, as opposed to musical creation. Well, whenever I think they showed the shark or before that would play. Yeah, the intensity kind of picks up when you know it's coming. Yeah. Number one on the list, no surprise here, Halloween, written by Mm -hmm. John Carpenter. Uh, Halloween embodies something far more sinister than Jaws. Halloween is a movie about evil, plain and simple. In writer-director-composer John Carpenter's world, evil is made flesh by one Michael Myers. I still I still love Halloween and Halloween 2. Yes. And I still love that theme when, when you put the movie in. Written by its director at a time when John Williams had brought symphonic soundtracks back, Halloween is a simple piano and synthesizer melody constantly repeated in a ten-eighths or complex five-fourths meter throughout this picture. It represents the banality of evil and stalks your mind and your dreams like a knife hunts for meat. 
yeah, I mean, you hear the bells, you hear that that synthesizer, and you just you get chills up and down mm-hmm. your spine. I think that like personifies Halloween. I agree. That song, and that's... you also hear that like the old school uh, projector, mm-hmm. like that the yeah. the spinning yeah. of uh-huh. the. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm I'm trying to think of? What is that word? Oh my god. The film. The spinning of the film. Like yeah. that that just constant shh. Mm-hmm. You know, like Halloween was fantastic. You know, I, I have some I take some liberties with this list. Killer Clowns from Outer Space has a fantastic uh track. Okay. And the Dream Warriors, man. Mm-hmm. What was that? Devo? <laughs> <laughs> I forget who sang that song, but Dio. I think it was Dio sang Dream Warriors. Oh, man, that's a great, great track. But anyway. Well, I have never seen, Jeremy and I were talking before, Killer Clowns. That's so disappointing. I've seen parts. And I've never seen, I think I've seen parts of Dream. No. What's Dream Warrior? That's Nightmare on Elm Street oh, yeah, 3, seen the Dream that. Warriors, yeah. I thought you meant the Warrior. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> so that's uh, the top, that's the 13 list. And that, um, and again, that was uh, David Crow. He wrote that in October 21st, 2019. So next up, we're going to talk about some new horror movies that we've seen. We've actually seen them. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like we just saw the trailer and don't like the movie. So <laughs> stay tuned. We'll be back. Would you like to see a magic trick? Are you sure you have the right place? Yeah. What am I supposed to do? Speaking of surprises, kids, we have a very special guest with us today. You looking for a place to stay? Yes, sir. That's my ugly bitch. Okay, we are back, and we're going to talk about horror movies that have come out this year that we've seen. So my first movie, I have mixed feelings about. And these, I have uh, four movies, and... They are movies that I like. So the first one is Nope. Mm. Did you see Nope? Not yet. It's on okay. my list. Nope is, uh, of course, a 2022 American neo-Western science fiction horror film. I don't know if that's a new genre movie. <laughs> and it was uh, directed, written, and produced, co-produced by Jordan Peele. It stars Daniel Kulia and Kiki Palmer as horse-wrangling siblings attempting to capture evidence of an unidentified flying object. So there, I gave away what the thing is. Not exactly, but there is um, moments of horror in the movie. But to me, it's mostly, I'd say it's leaning more towards the sci-fi. Also, I think it's more, more a drama at some points, too. It's in chapters, which I think are the horse names. It's very well done, I have to say. the the landscape, the way it's filmed, just the way it looks is great. So we also have Stephen, uh, I can never say his name right, Stephen Yen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in The Walking Dead, Glenn, Michael Wincott, and Brandon Perea. Uh, filming took place uh, during fall 2021 in northern Los Angeles County and wrapped up in November. It premiered at the T- TCL Chinese Theater in Los Angeles July 18th this year. And it was released July 22nd. And it has grossed $170 million worldwide. And it is divided into five chapters. Ghost, Clover, Gordy, Lucky, and Jean Jacket. Which are horse names. Okay. So there's a lot of horses in this movie. We're out in the 
looks like the desert. It doesn't, I'm not really sure exactly where they filmed. There's something in the sky behind the clouds. Uh, I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is if you want to see it. My feelings on this movie are one thing is the movie's too long. Uh, I think the movie, let's see if I can find it here. So I want to say the movie's like two hours and 20 minutes, something like that. Okay. Now, Stephen Yen's character, he plays Ricky Jupe Park. He's a former child actor, and he's the owner-creator of theme park Jupiter's Claim. He's more like a sideshow person, putting on horse shows and sort of, yeah, like a theme park. Uh, like, I would say Wild West. I think he's in cowboy gear outfit. There's a backstory to his character, and I'm not going to tell you exactly. And that's where some of the horror comes in. It does nothing for the story, does nothing for the movie. If they cut that out, because that's a good 30 minutes at least, I think it, the movie would be more, you know, compact. We don't, once you see it, you're like, we don't really, we really didn't need to know any of that. But I like, Jordan Pill, I liked his last movies. Overall, I think the movie is good, but like I said, it's, it's too long. Will I see it again? May, maybe, maybe not. So interesting is that uh, Jordan Pill signed a five-year exclusive production partnership, or Universal Pictures announced a five-year exclusive production in 2019. So there will be more films. It's funny, though, uh, Jordan Pill, when I first saw him, he was a comedian. It was Key and Pill, And if you look that up, they're... I don't even, I'm pretty sure it was on TV, and it was sort of a, a skit uh, show. Okay. The skits are kind of strange, but funny. So it was just weird seeing him going into the horror movie genre. But Jordan Peele said about the movie, Nope, I wrote it in a time when we were a little bit worried about the future of cinema. So the first thing I knew is I wanted to create a spectacle. And I'd say to see this, like, if you have two hours and 20 minutes to see the movie, because like I said, it's beautifully filmed. He cited King Kong and Jurassic Park movies about humanity's addiction to spectacle, along with Close Encounters of Third Kind, Signs, and The Wizard of Oz as influences in his writing of the movie. He said the beauty of the sky is enthralling. Every now and then you'll see a cloud that sits alone and it's too low and it gives me this vertigo and this sense of presence with a capital P. I can't describe it, but I knew if I could bottle that and put it into a horror movie, it might just change the way people look at the sky. Okay, so this film was shot in Agua Dolce, California. It had a $68 million budget. A lot more than the movie I think Jeremy's going to talk about today. <laughs> Actually, that's 68 million is not a lot, right? 68 million. No, that is a lot. <laughs> I'm thinking movie-wise, you know. I guess that's a lot of money. And it was the first to employ trainees, six of them, from Universal Film Entertainment Group's California Below the Line traineeship for individuals seeking careers behind the camera. So I think that's a great thing. They actually use people, uh, you know, sort of the, get them into the film industry. And he chose the title because he wanted to acknowledge movie audiences and their expected reactions to the film. And I have seen some reviews and people say, nope. <laughs> you 
you know, or they won't see it. Yep. He had considered calling the film Little Green Men. So there's a little trivia for you. Okay. So that was my first movie, Nope. So see it or don't see it. Yeah. So my first movie actually came out the very beginning of the year now, but uh, still qualifies for a 2022 film. Uh, Scream Part 5. Mm-hmm. This was, uh, well, it's an American slasher. Obviously, if you haven't seen the Scream movies, probably not a big horror fan because Ghostface is pretty iconic at this point. Um, but this was actually the uh, first film not directed by Wes Craven. Hmm. Uh, this one was directed by Matt Battinelli Olpen and Tyler G- Gillette. Uh, it's part five of the film. It is a direct sequel to Scream 4. One thing that I've kind of noticed with the Scream films uh, ever since basically the first one was released is they all kind of have the same concept to them. Yes. Each movie, Mm -hmm. you know, I think your mind starts to try to solve the puzzle before you get to the end of the film Mm -hmm. because you know that there's something coming. There's a twist. Yeah. There's always a twist. And that's kind of their ongoing joke in the <laughs> franchise. Scream has been successful, not only because of that twist, but they also had a good core of actors that kind of stayed together throughout the entire franchise. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't see the main cast getting killed off throughout the films. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe they've, they, most of them have been in each of the five and have not missed a beat. Not going to give any spoilers, but... This sequel takes place 25 years after the original. The original movie, Wes Craven, based off of a real-life situation that was happening, the Gainesville slasher or the Gainesville hmm. killer or whatever. Yeah, I don't think I even was. knew that. <laughs> yeah, a uh, Florida you know, college student that was slashing people mm-hmm. up, murdering them, and basically creating fear throughout you know, a college community that wasn't necessary. This movie did a great job of leading you down one path as you're watching and kind of getting your mind thinking, okay, this is, this is who did it. And then shifting midway through the movie, continuing to keep your mind moving <laughs> and trying to, you know, figure out that puzzle. Uh, a lot of people that I spoke, there were a lot of mixed reviews. I heard some people who liked it. A lot of people didn't like it. And I think it's a situation where you get five movies deep. People have kind of already predetermined that they're sick of seeing something. I thought the new director did a great job of sticking with a similar plot that Wes Craven created, giving it that same unique twist, but putting his own spin on the storyline that he was trying to present. Uh, I thought he did a great job with that. The, uh, the movie itself, I loved it. I thought it was good for a sequel. Um, nothing will ever top the original. Not usually. Mm-hmm. There might be one or two out there that are better, but... I thought it did a great job picking up where the last one left off. I think I thought it did a great job leaving it open ended, moving down the road because mm-hmm. they're Scream mm-hmm. Six is filming, <laughs> as we know. So I enjoyed it. Theatrically, it was released in the United States January fourteenth, grossing one hundred and forty million dollars worldwide. Uh, it was praised for honoring Craven's legacy and offering thoughtful commentary on horror films in general. Some called it the best of the Scream sequels. I don't know if I'd go that far, personally. Um, I did like it. I would probably rate it higher than Part 3, specifically. Mm-hmm. But 
I still like two and four better. So they did. I don't want to spoil anything. There are a few people that are no longer in mm-hmm. the movie that get mm-hmm. killed, obviously. Yeah. They but, finally killed off someone. Yeah, yes. Of the original. Yeah. Cast. But I did love some of the new additions that they brought to the film. And I love some of the people that might potentially be moving forward in part six. So, I mean, my lasting impression on it, I would recommend it, especially if you're a Scream fan. It, you have to at least see it to, you know, insert it into your personal enjoyment for each of those films. I'm looking forward to part six when it comes out. Yeah, I like... I think next year at this point. <laughs> I like the first couple ones. I saw, I saw the new one. I'm more the thought that they probably need to stop making... The scream. I don't know. It, you might they be kind of right. all look similar to me. They but... they do a lot of the same things each time. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. Okay, my movie. This was a not a theatrical movie. This was on Netflix, and it's the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. Hmm. It was originally titled "The Woman in the House," but I guess they thought they needed a longer title. I don't know. So it's a miniseries created by Rachel uh, Ramrus, Hugh Davidson, and Larry Dorff. Uh, Kristen Bell's in this. Uh, who else is in this? Tom Riley, Mary Holland, Cameron Britton, Shelley Hennig, and Sam Sarah Yet. It's primarily a parody of mystery psychological thrillers. Not entirely a horror movie. I didn't know watching this that it was a parody until like the end because there's some quirky stuff in it when it starts uh it is eight episodes it's probably in the fifth or sixth before there's some like getting more towards the comedy so by the end of uh, i'd say the sixth episode maybe i don't know that uh it, it started getting more like some of the things that the characters said then i started and maybe I read something that it was a parody of these shows. And maybe these shows that are showed on Lifetime or something. I thought it was really good. It was pretty interesting. Uh, Kristen Bell, she, I think, is she's divorced. So this guy and his daughter move in across the street. And, of course, almost like rear window, she thinks she sees something. Maybe hears something that maybe isn't quite what she thought she saw it's pretty it, it is pretty funny though i mean because i i knew it wasn't a pure horror movie i mean she she continually drinks glass big glasses of wine so basically the premise is a heartbroken woman named anna Kristen bell is unsure of whether or not she witnessed a murder so she mixes alcohol with medications prescribed by her therapist it's frequent hallucinations and suffers from a crippling fear of the rain. And you find out why in the movie. So I thought overall this was pretty good. Like I said, this is on Netflix. One comedic thing in the movie is she, she always is cooking chicken casserole. But always something happens. She's going across the street to, to, to give this chicken casserole to the guy that moved in across the street. And it starts raining. And she passes out and drops the casserole dish busts all over the you know road chicken casserole and then there's other scenes where the 
chicken casserole. I'm like thinking, how many chicken casserole dishes does she have? Right. Because she keeps breaking these dishes for some reason. Oh, and there's a guy that is repairing their mailbox. So I thought, see, I thought that was strange in the beginning because by the third or fourth episode, he's still repairing the mailbox. He's, he's always out. I'm, and I'm thinking, well, maybe he's a little autistic, maybe. And, but he, every day. And then there's a comment made later on. You know, I don't know what episode. Her ex-husband mentions, how long is he going to take to repair that mailbox? I think he says it's been two years. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm like. That's where I got the comedy. I'm like, okay, this isn't really as serious as I thought. On the, uh, so the final episode, uh, there is a cameo by Glenn Close. She's in the final episode. I'd say check that one out. Like I said, eight episodes. The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. All right. Okay. Uh, number two for me. All right. There was some debate about this in uh, my Facebook group online. The Black Phone. Yes. It came out in 2022, at least in theaters in the United States. I believe it was in a film festival in 2021. Mm -hmm. So if you research it online, you'll find some that say 2021. But it came out June of 2022 in the United States. That's all that matters. That's, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm going by. Jim, I know you saw this movie. Mm -hmm. The Black Phone. Absolutely fantastic. My favorite movie of the year, without a doubt. Probably my favorite movie in the last decade. It was, it, it's considered a supernatural horror film. I think it's definitely suspenseful. Mm-hmm. And thriller would be, you know, another subgenre I would add to it. Movie was directed by Scott Derrickson, written by Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill, who both produced with Jason Blum. Some stars in the film are Mason Thames, Madeline McGraw, Jeremy Davies, James Ransone, and Ethan Hawke. You have a town in fear of a killer that is abducting children. And you get to see what happens, basically, when one of those children finally... I don't want to say finally gets abducted, because several have been abducted, but you see one who gets abducted, and now you see what happens after they deal with the abduction. You're on the edge of your seat, wondering, how is this child going to get away, or Mm -hmm. is he going to get away? And then he starts to get help from previous victims along Mm -hmm. the way. And then while he's kind of working through each of these issues and scenarios that he's dealing with, you have Ethan Hawke, who plays an absolutely brilliant Mm -hmm. killer. (laughs) (laughs) He's just so calm, so cool. Almost acts like he's your best friend, and you don't know what his true intentions are, because it's not like he's starving these kids, it's not like he's necessarily beating these kids, he's not raping these, like, there's, you don't see anything that leads you to believe that he might not want to be anything other than their friend, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a weird way. Although they're not in a common place in the house. Correct. You know. Yeah. So, I don't think he... I'm trying to remember if he says much in the movie either. He he doesn't say a lot. He does say some, but he's got a wacky brother, which is hilarious. Just some mm-hmm. great comedy filler to so it's at least it gives you a few laughs at points too. I could just say that I never saw what happened coming. There was a lot of jump scares. There was a lot of suspenseful moments that you just kind of sat there and went, Wow, I I mm-hmm. didn't see that coming. And you know, for all the hype that this movie had, the release was pushed back several times. 
you know, I was a little concerned, but I went to the theater and mm-hmm. I, it, it's one of the few times I left the theater when I have to buy that when it comes out. I want to see it again. Yeah, I want to see it again. it comes out. Yeah. I, I just, I was blown away at how simple it was, but how good the acting was, how good the expressions were throughout mm-hmm. the film, and just how great the storyline flowed from start to finish. And Tom Savini worked on it, too. Yeah, he did some of the, what, makeup and special effects. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if he created the look for the main character. Maybe I think he did. So. Yeah, I don't know. It yeah. was that that was very creative and original. Mm-hmm. $161 million at the box office for the black phone. Very, very successful. And you did, you mentioned Joe Hill, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, no, I might not have. Yeah, Joe Hill wrote it. Yes, I Stephen King's son. Yes, I didn't mention yeah. that. Thank you. <laughs> I uh, I was not I'm, that nepotism creates you know genius, but he's I've read some of his books, probably two or three of his books, mm-hmm. and they're good. He's good on his own. He's not trying to be his father. Yes, yeah. But he's got a good mind. He got the his he got the mind to be a writer, probably from his father. His mother, she's a writer too. I don't know what she writes, though. So. And then uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention here was that Derrickson was actually inspired by films such as The 400 Blows from 1959, The Devil's Backbone from 2001, and Rosemary's Baby from 1968. Mm-hmm. Those all kind of went into that film. But talk about leaving a lasting impression. That I would 10 out of 10 recommend everybody see The Black Phone at least one time. Yes. So my next film is... Barbarian, which I saw in the theater. This film was directed by Zach Krieger and written by Zach Krieger. Now, interesting thing about Zach is that he was also like Jordan Pill. He was a comedian. Uh, he was in Friends with Benefits. He was also in this show that my wife and I watched called Wreck, and it was a comedy, and it was almost like a parody of Lost. There's a plane crash, and they're stranded on this island, and each one had their own personality, but he played the pilot this guy. So it's interesting to see that he wrote this movie, Barbarian. This movie stars Bill Skarsgård, Justin Long, uh, Georgina Campbell, Richard Brake, who we talked about in the Munsters movie. So Richard Brake is, he's not in the whole movie. I don't know if I tell you the character. Well, I can tell you a little bit. He, he's, when they show, when they show the movie, the movie goes into like the past. So he plays a character from the past. That's all I can say. So basically, this girl rents an Airbnb, and it's in Detroit. It's like it's in the worst part of Detroit. But the thing is, the house, the house looks great. The house looks brand new. So if you went online and they showed the house, not the neighborhood, you would be like, hey, that looks pretty good. But all the houses around it are boarded up. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's at night when she arrives. So when she gets there, there's another guy in the house who also rented the house, and that is Bill Skarsgård. I like this movie a lot because there were twists and turns. It's a movie where you're, from the very beginning, you're convinced of one thing and it turns into another. I don't want to give a lot away. Let's just say something, of course, something strange is going on, which you find out a little bit later. Now, Justin Long, I can tell you, he is the guy that owns the house. And he shows up later. And he's like an L.A. guy. I don't know, maybe he owns a couple houses. I can't remember why he goes back to the house. 
Oh, I think, okay, now I think I remember. Okay, so Justin Long is a sitcom actor. Okay. Okay, but he's been fired from his TV show due to rape allegations by the co-star. He has to sell all his assets to pay for his legal costs. And basically, he, ha- he goes back to the property, his rental property. And somehow he doesn't realize that it's being rented. Okay. But like I said, I'm not going to tell you because if I start telling you some other things, you know, that'd give it away. Right. If you haven't seen Barbarian, I want you to, because I didn't know anything. My wife tells me I watched the trailer, but the trailer, I don't think showed much. No. And I sometimes like movies. I like movies like that. If you go in and then you're like, you love the movie then, you know, or it could go the opposite way. I really like this movie. I like that. I didn't know anything. So it was all new. You know, even the premise or what, what was going on, I didn't know what was going on until it was going on, you know, sort of to speak. Um, so anyway, I like this movie a lot. So um, again, Barbarian. I think it did pretty well at the box office. Let me see here. So this movie did pretty well. Uh, it cost $4 million to make and it made 31 you know, it's not an incredible number, to, but they made their money back, like what, eight times over? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's 107 minutes, so it's a good amount of time, <laughs> an hour and uh, 47 minutes. And that movie came out September 9th, so it's fairly new. So again, Barbarian. My, uh, my next movie, I actually just fresh off of seeing this, uh, Terrifier 2. If you have not seen Terrifier, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this demonic clown basically slashes people up. And his name's Art? His name is Art the Clown. He <laughs> does not speak, but he is very funny. He's also creepy as hell, but he's very funny. Damien Leone is the writer, director, and producer of Terrifier 2, direct sequel to the first Terrifier. David Howard Thornton plays Art the Clown. He is fantastic. Uh, you want to talk about doing a phenomenal job in acting. He is scary, he is funny, and he is spot on with every expression that he's trying to hit in the theater to make you react to. The new movie stars a young lady named Lauren Lavera, who I've never seen before, but I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of her. Jeremy hopes to meet her at the autograph show. I would love to meet her. She's very beautiful. (laughs) Um, But she was fantastic. I mean, she was, she, she nailed the role perfectly of, of a girl who was courageous, intelligent, witty, but also like shy and reserved Mm -hmm. all kind of into one. She did a great job of just nailing it. Her brother in the movie, Elliot Fulham does a terrific job as there are two kids who lost their father and mm-hmm. you, you learn about that. And the mom is struggling to kind of keep them together as a family. So they're dealing with issues. The boy has a sketchbook from the dad. I'm not going to spoil too much, but the sketchbook has art, the clown in it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's some kind of link mm-hmm. to what's happening throughout the movie. There's a young lady, Casey Harnett. Oh my God. She, there's, there's a scene that is just, Absolutely fantastic, and I, I will not ruin it for you, but she's also very, very beautiful young lady, mm-hmm. great actress. She did a terrific job in her role, 
movie is very violent. It's quite gory in comparison to the first one where Yeah, the, well the first one yeah was gory too. <laughs> you also but, you also had one of the craziest kill scenes ever uh, seen yeah. in the first one. <laughs> but the second one is it's more Yes, it's even it's even more violent. Yeah, so if you just if you like your horror movies with not a lot of blood maybe body parts i didn't see terrifier too but i'm uh, oh yeah there's body parts <laughs> this might not be the one for you no probably not they're doing a fantastic job already the budget was only $250,000 they're near or a over a million yeah. at this point and i have already seen on facebook today i have more friends going to see this tonight so i can only imagine that this thing is going to just keep generating uh, money. Well, it came out at the perfect time, too. Yeah. Right before Halloween. That's always a good time to see a, the, a new horror movie. The one thing I will say... So, I loved the movie. I, I Art the Clown is quickly becoming one of my favorite horror slasher villains. I mean, he is mm-hmm. fantastic with, you know, making you laugh, but also scaring the living daylights out of you. Movie was a bit long. About two hours and 20 minutes. I thought the ending could have been cut a little bit. I'm not a director, so I'm not mm-hmm. criticizing too much, but just seemed to go on a little bit. There was a couple of random scenes throughout the movie that are tolerable, but maybe not needed for the overall plot. Yeah, and then there was that that scene with Steven Yen um, in the movie. Right. No, that was no. Yeah, that I'm was just nope. kidding. Yeah, I'm just I'm so confused. <laughs> they just, what? They put him in there again. They, they wanted you to see that scene that uh, you didn't need to be in there. Well... Well, you do want to stick around, though. So, do you know Chris Jericho, the wrestler? Yeah. He is in this movie. Okay. Not till the very end, but you do see him. After the credits, though, you you get a spoiler alert of Mm -hmm. what's potentially to come. Oh, okay. So, that was great. And then there was a kind of behind the scenes with the uh, director, Damien Leone, as far Mm -hmm. as filming the movie, some Mm -hmm. some of the challenges they faced and some of the, you know, experiences they had. But I've met Damien and David Howard Thornton on the convention circuit yeah. both are very yeah i've met david howard art the clown they're both very interactive very personable yeah very fan friendly people go out of your way to meet them they're great guys the movie fantastic i from start to finish i loved it as i said maybe a little long but that'd be my only complaint mm-hmm. uh very excited if there's going to be a part three but i would definitely definitely recommend the terrifier trilogy if you're looking for a horror villain besides mm-hmm. your michael myers or your freddy krueger or jason yeah. Voorhees, art the yeah. clown is really cool yeah so my next movie is the movie x oh have you seen it not yet i have it in the car so my wife didn't want to see this for some reason i don't know why but she did and i really like this movie reminded me of the uh like the old slasher movies in some respect it wasn't like there was, uh, you know, like a Michael Myers or Jason type character. And I think it takes place in the 70s. And it's got an interesting concept. Now, there's not a lot of real gory scenes. I mean, there is a couple, but there is a lot of nudity, nice. if you like nudity. Because the plot of the movie is that it follows a cast and crew who gather to make a pornographic film on an elderly couple's rural Texas property, and they find themselves threatened by an unlikely killer. Oh. So this was filmed in New Zealand. Now we have Mia Goth is just great in the movie. Uh, there is a second movie, which is a prequel. It's called Pearl. Pearl is a character in 
X. I won't tell you who. I won't tell you who she is. We've got Jenna Ortega, who is in Wednesday coming up. Ooh. About Wednesday Adams. That actually looks good. Martin Henderson, Brittany Snow. She's been in Pitch Perfect, Hairspray, Prom Night. And she was one of the porn stars. Oh, so nice. there's Owen Campbell, Stephen Yer, and Scott Mascudi. Stephen Yen? Yeah, no, <laughs> Stephen Yer. <laughs> Mia Goth and Brittany Snow are the two women that are filming the porn. Kid Cudi, did I say that right? C-U-D-I, Cudi, Scott Mascudi. Now, Kid is one of the main characters. He is the guy. He is the guy. He is the star of the porno. Okay. Now, don't laugh, but would you like to know his name in the movie? Of course. So as a porn star, his name is Jackson Hall, <laughs> which is a place. Yeah. But the movie generally received positive reviews with critics praising its homages to the 20th century slasher films, particularly 1974's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I really like this movie. It, it is slow starting. Um, you almost feel like you're watching Nope for a little while. Because of the farm, you know, the just a, I don't know, flatlands and <laughs> I don't know. It is interesting. Uh, the, there are, there's uh, some scenes towards the end uh, that kind of drive it to the end of the movie and it takes place at night. So I, and I like the, um, I like the feel of the movie. Uh, you know, you might not be up for the subject matter. You know, the movie's not rated X, so it is rated R. Uh, they do show some scenes, but they're very brief. You know, you have Richard Roper, who wrote that X also contains echoes of such pornographic films as Blue Movie and Debbie Does Dallas. <laughs> but again, it's rated R. It is called X. I'd say say it. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think my wife did. And I'm looking forward to seeing Pearl. Because Pearl, like I said, is a prequel. And it's based on one of the characters, and it takes place, I want to say, in the 40s, 50s. Uh, I'm really a big fan of those kind of movies, just seeing the, how they do the set designs, the cars, all that. I don't know. This might be another horror movie. Pearl, I'm not saying X, but Pearl looks really good. It's supposed to be, I think it's out now, and it might be the next movie to get an Academy Award. I don't know. I haven't seen it, so I'm not going to be one of those people. Right? Yeah. I'm going the other way. You know, it's going to be an incredible movie. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That was my last movie. Do you have any um, other things? Not to really go into depth, but Monstrous came out in 2022. Mm -hmm. I love Christina Ricci. Mm -hmm. That was that was a good movie. Uh, worth a watch, maybe. I don't know that it was yeah. great. I, I saw it one time, so now I'm kind of drawing a blank. But a mother, mother and her son get away from an abusive ex-husband and she moves away, but she's kind of dealing with uh, personal, what, what is that? Like, I don't want to say memory loss, but a struggle with reality. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. is kind of how you mm -hmm. can put it. So you kind of see her dealing with issues with her son, but there's also a lake monster mm -hmm. that's also, you know, relevant in the film. Yeah. The entire time. It was enjoyable. Yes. I mean, it was different. And it was a thriller, which is really my, you know, favorite genre when it comes to horror movies. 
I am a big fan of Christina Ricci, but mm-hmm. it, it was just a unique film that I guess it, something, it was like a horror movie, but almost like a, a tearjerker type movie too, because you, you almost get so entrenched in the plot that you, you start to get that, uh, the emotion of, oh my God, what's happening? So, so it's scary, but then it's also real. I don't know, combined in, it's hard to explain, but thought it was worth mentioning. I know you saw it as well. I, I don't know. If I don't ready. remember too much. <laughs> it must not have been memorable for me, but right. I wanted to mention um, briefly the new Hellraiser. It's a two-hour movie. Um, I thought it was pretty good. It had some good visuals, and uh, I wasn't really a big fan of Hellraiser. I saw the first couple ones. I will tell you a story: is that I was working security at night, you know, overnight with a friend <laughs> with a friend of mine, and he had pins in his head. No, he. <laughs> He, uh, he would, well, I'm not going to say the name of the place or anything, but he would leave. He was not supposed to leave, but he left to get McDonald's and came back. And uh, anyway, we rented, back then you rent a movie, and we'd wheel this, it was an office building, huge office building. So a guy had a, a VCR and a TV cart. So we'd wheel that down and we'd watch movies. And one was, uh, I don't think it was the first one. I'm pretty sure it was the second one. It was like so bloody and I actually got nauseous. I almost like vomited. And that's the only movie that ever like gave me that reaction. Maybe that's why I haven't watched the other ones. So the new Hellraiser though, I don't think there was that much. But there are gory scenes in the movie, of course, because it's Hellraiser. I thought it was pretty good. There are some people that didn't like it again you know they're trying to remake you know stuff but i just watch movies that they're entertaining they're entertaining uh hellraisers on hulu and interview with the vampire we started watching i think that's on amc i think it's really good i mean i like the movie jeremy like you like the movie mm-hmm. right? the original movie was yeah. great. yeah what my hopes are that once they get through an interview with the vampire they continue which i always hoped with the movies Instead of they did Queen of the Damned. And I hope they continue with the vampire list at uh, the other books. I read all the vampire books. Mm-hmm. And vampire list at is just as good as Interview with the Vampire. I'm hoping they just continue the series, the, the TV show. Yep. Like that. As we speak, I have tickets to see Halloween Ends. <clears throat> oh yeah, Halloween That's, ends. <laughs> that one's uh at the making of this podcast. It's not out yet. Yeah. So we can't review it. <laughs> well, by the time you hear this, uh, it will be out. Yes. And I will have seen it too. I'm going to watch it on Paramount. Jeremy's going to theater to yep. see it. Yeah. And I have mixed feelings with Halloween. It's hard to say with these movies whether they should end or not. Yeah. Because you still want the excitement. Like you're excited to go to the theater see this in the theater something new but they're old characters but you always want to have that that feeling of seeing something for the first time so why not friday the 13th uh you know the next movie will be the 13th movie and they're they're fighting over the rights and and there's new info that maybe there will be another one soon so you know people may think that they should just stop friday the 13th I don't know why it people still go see the stuff and enjoy it. Right. Just do it, you know. Yep. No, I agree. I mean, we were talking earlier about, you know, remakes and one that I didn't like was Psycho. 
And I, you know, for me, I love Alfred Hitchcock and I love the movie Psycho. I like Rope. I like, uh, do you ever see Rope? I have not seen Rope. Jimmy Stewart. Rear Window, of course. I don't know why, but that's, that's one of the only movies I have that feeling about is because I just love Psycho. I like it because it's black and white. And the new one came out a while ago, but they tried to do it. I think they tried to do it scene for scene. Yeah. But, but converted to color. <laughs> yeah. And I was real, I was actually offended by the one scene with Vince Vaughn where he's masturbating. Yeah. It wasn't needed. And no. So anyway, that's, that's just, that's one film that I didn't think should be remade. Yeah. You, you know, know, I've, I've heard rumors of a nightmare on Elm street, potentially mm-hmm. Robert England revising the role of Freddie one more time. Uh-huh. And Part of me thinks that would be really cool, and another part of me is like, eh, I, I don't know, because the remake, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, where I think it was Jackie Earl Haley played Freddy Krueger, I just, I didn't like the movie at all. Yeah. I didn't think it did anything for the franchise. I didn't think it did. I think I saw that. <laughs> I don't think it did anything to help out yeah. the movie. I don't, mm-hmm. it, you know, if you're going to remake it, it, you should have a new vision and yeah. something in mind to try and draw in an audience. Yeah, create something totally new. Correct. It'd be great if Robert England uh, was Freddy again. Right. And and just have really good script, really good visual, everything. And again, it's one of those where you would want to go into the, the theater and see this new, not a remake of the first one, not, you know, yep. but something new, exciting. It doesn't matter if it's an old character that we've seen before. I just, I like the slasher movies, you know, like that. And I think Halloween did a great job with John Carpenter branching off. Sure, you've had two, three, four, five, six, you know, whatever throughout. But they basically started their own, okay, the first one happened, now pretend the others don't exist. Here's part two, here's part three. It's like Batman. Yeah. The the beginning Batman movies, there was four or five, and then, then they started over again. I'd rather see these directors... It's not maybe new and original, but at least you're being creative. If you think you have something better oh, yeah. to add to the story, yeah. go back in time and add it. Let Just, the fans determine if it should be the better second choice or if it, you know, whatever. But give us something fresh and new. And if you if you can add on to the story, then by all means do it. But mm-hmm. make it make sense. Don't just keep Michael Myers alive just yeah. to try and make money off of the Michael Myers name. Or, or rehash old scripts and like Spider-Man. James Cameron, I think, did the first one. Mm-hmm. And then they regurgitated Spider-Man again. And, but then they got better. It's like Batman, the, um, when they brought back Batman back, Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. The first one wasn't that great. I think Liam Neeson was in that. Right. Until the second one with Heath Ledger as Joker. Yep. That was the second one and that was... Phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. And then I mean, it's like Bat- Terminator Two. Batman's who a great saw term- the first Terminator. I'm sure people saw it, but why did Terminator Two they, when they came? It was huge, right? <laughs> yeah, and going back to your Batman example, I think that's a great one. The kid from Twilight, I'm drawing a blank on his name, played the new Batman, Robert Pattinson. Yes. And people wrote it off as if it was going to be garbage because they didn't like him from the Twilight movies. Mm -hmm. The newest Batman that was released might be one of the three best Batman movies Mm -hmm. that was made, in my opinion. 
that was made. And I heard a lot of people that were hating on him getting that mm-hmm. lead actually enjoying the movie. Yeah. And acknowledging how good he did in That's the That's when I have to go back and watch again. I think there's a lot I think there's a lot there in that movie. Yep. A lot to take in. You know, it's not just some flashy comic book, you know, like Batman Returns, you know, stuff with the penguin and or like Dick Tracy <laughs> movie, you know. Yep. I think there's actually some intelligence to some of the the newer Batman movies. Yeah, I agree. Not that they're not fun to watch. They still are. So I guess that does it for our podcast. So Got a little off topic like, there. But. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about sequels someday or remakes. There you go. In, in more detail. Thank you, everyone who listens uh, regularly and uh, regularly. You know, if you like our podcast, make sure you tell a friend. And if they like music or, of course, we're talking about movies today. We, we go a little off topic uh, for Halloween, which I like. Try to work in some music stuff. Hopefully you've been enjoying the latest podcast and keep listening. And you'll hear from us again soon. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to No Good Music. Intro and exit music by the band 99%. Today's show was produced and edited by Jim Thatcher and recorded at the Did You Say 7 Studios in Washington, New Jersey. You can find No Good Music on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Pandora, and almost anywhere you listen to podcasts. The song Oh the Horror, created and compiled by Jim Thatcher. (laughs) 